Hello and welcome to episode 102 of the Green Outdoors podcast. I'm AJ. I'm Ryan. I'm Kyle. I don't know why I said oh, I yeah. said podcast weird. It's because we were mimicking a bunch of people before we got on. <laughs> we were making fun of We were people. trying to do everybody's voices of people that we know. And then I said podcast because I, I got in that zone. Podcast. I, uh, Ryan did his first pitch today. Yeah. Uh, where Ryan's our producer. It so was really easy. He, yeah, that's true. Thankfully. He, he helps plan... And now it's kind of taken over. The word help has kind of gone away. He just plans our episodes and, like, what's going to be in them and the context and story arcs. Obviously, there's some curveballs that always come. Yeah. But that's kind of Ryan's role. And we're still pretty collaborative on, like, what we think looks good. I mean, it's not like I'm just like, this is what we're doing. Everyone here pretty much says, like, that's a good idea or that's a stupid idea. He'll put in notes like, Kyle, no veto power <laughs> <laughs> and then, what i say go <laughs> <laughs> but he did his first pitch today uh with uh Sea-Doo for an episode we're filming with them for history channel mm-hmm. and your idea was pretty cool i won't go into it right now because we're not supposed to do that but nice i sent a video of ryan doing his little pitch to his dad and his uh brother to be like uh like hey look at he's killing it you know kind of thing and then they're like Oh, he's just trying to pitch that we have a bunch of bikini-clad women and and, <laughs> and trans and all this stuff in the in the thing to make it interesting, and like uh, two you know, very hyper political people. Yeah, and uh, um, I said no, but your dad offered to wear a bikini and full makeup and a wig, which I didn't think he needed a wig. I think is I think he can he can do the the spikes. There's bet, there's um, girls that have spikes. I bet he could do spikes. That could be his the, hair. That could be the twist to the episode that we need. Yeah. Well, mm. nonetheless, I was proud of you. I think they were. I think that was their way of showing that they were proud of you, but you, you, you did a great He was job. looking for a different reaction. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was yeah. just like, I thought they'd be like, wow, that's awesome. I'm glad for him or something. And then yeah, just wrong group for that. Yeah. Yeah. You need that. Yeah. Use your head. Rough crowd. <laughs> <laughs> so the, really, like, maybe proud of you thing <laughs> type family. Well, to be honest with you, I think it's a lack of carbs for me. And sugar. So I've been doing the 28-day reboot program. Got your mind a little broken. Yeah, through Wilderness Athlete. And basically, if you go to their website, Wilderness Athlete, and you look at the 28-day reboot, it's um, the goal is to get you in really great shape and also take care of uh, some fat, knock that off. I had injured my elbow uh, snowboarding, and I ended up spraining it really bad uh, about five, six weeks ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so during that time I was like, I'm done. I can't work out. I can't do this. I was kind of depressed to be honest with you at first. I was like, you know what? I'm going to try and turn this into a positive. And I, you know, I was very into weightlifting, always have been, but I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to switch to cardio and focus on legs and core. And then I'm going to really fine tune my diet. I'm going to go all in on this 28 day reboot program because I had done it before. And then like 10 days in, we all got the flu. And that kind of screwed it up. So I was like, I'm starting fresh. I'm doing this. I'm following the eating plan. I'm following the entire program to a T. And that was about three weeks ago that I started that program. And at, at this point, too, I weighed 182 pounds when I started it. And now I weigh 172 as of today in three weeks' time. So 10 pounds in three weeks. My goal weight is only 165. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty and close to that already. So, and then what's your plan from thereafter? So – if I get to 165, I'm going to be very lean. I won't have any kind of fat whatsoever on me as far as noticeable stuff. Um, you know, my stomach will be nothing but muscle and that sort of thing. So at that point, 
actually there's another 28 day program that's called rebuild the wilderness athlete i'm gonna go right into that uh to keep it tonight so part of what i've done is uh um and this has been a little bit stronger than they even recommend but i looked at the calorie counter and when i looked at it it said that in order to maintain my weight at 182 i had to consume 2700 calories a day anything over that i would gain weight anything under i could lose weight so i looked at like the minimum i could get away with which was like 1600 calories and i was like i'll do 1400 so i went down to 1400 calories a day following the program and still doing a lot of cardio i'm getting to the point now where i can run five miles no problem nice um, yeah doing a lot of leg stuff and then uh, a lot of core stuff and following the diet i mean abs are made in the kitchen is what they say so with that once i get down to the goal weight I'm going to bump my calories back up at that point, weighing 165, it would take like 2,300 calories to maintain my weight. So I'll float between 2,000 and 2,300 and I'll up my protein count even more. I'm at like 180 grams of protein right now per day, which is tough staying in the 1,400 calorie count. Mm -hmm. But I'm not recommending you should go all the way down to 1,400 calories because that's a bit nuts. Yeah. But I'm used to it now. And I've also like now I'm like kind of losing appetite in general. Like I'm forcing myself to eat when I'm eating now. Yeah. Which also is a sign that maybe I overdid it a little. But I've only got a week and a half left of this, and then uh, um, I'll kind of maintain a little bit laxed version of this until I get down to the 165, and then boom, I'll jump in the rebuild program. Was based on the the calories that you went down to, were you or are you? concerned at all about losing muscle in that sense like you're not necessarily which i know you're working out but going down that low you'd have to think you're losing some muscle yeah you're you you're definitely losing muscle um and i am i'm noticeably which i guess is the point of the rebuild yeah yeah and that that's kind of my thought was like part of it was the injury right so i'm like i'm injured i can't weight lift upper body i'm gonna do a heavy focus on lower body getting my cardio up to a a, a massive you know, set and then uh, be in really good cardiovascular shape. And then from that point on, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll rebuild completely. When I up the protein count, part of the saving of the muscle and the thought process, I'm still holding the 180 grams of protein a day. So by even right now, which has been really tough, but by holding that, I think I'm retaining a lot of the muscle, but I'm sure I'm losing some for sure. I feel like I'm losing some, but also when you cut your stomach up, you know, you get all the fat off of you you look better anyway. So it's like, I'll get it back. Yeah. Okay. You know, and then I, today was the first day I lifted upper body since the injury, uh, where I was able to actually do it kind of for real, you know, without, uh, without too much pain. So that just to bring up something funny that we were talking about the other day is how annoying it is. Well, I guess what made me think of it was you losing appetite because you went down so far. You notice yourself forcing yourself to eat, which is more of like my thing is like, I don't have a huge appetite, clearly. Yeah. Um. So a lot of times I'm forcing myself to eat. And then we talked about the other day, like how annoying it is <laughs> to like take time out of the day to make a meal or like breakfast. I don't really do breakfast, maybe like a bagel or like a protein bar or something. And that's really it until lunchtime. And then I don't eat much of a lunch either because it's annoying. We're typically here pretty busy right. or it's just something quick. So... I know Isaac, he does a lot of, which Isaac's my best friend, you guys Diabetic. Di he is diabetic, so he's got some a few more challenges, but he does a lot, a lot of meal prepping. And one thing that he, 
happens to him is he finds like a regimen of, of meals and he prepares like every Sunday he's got that week planned out of these exact calorie counted meals and he ends up getting burnt out of these meals yeah and then you're like whatever i'm not even doing this anymore and then you just get off track real quick and the prep work of making them is a pain yeah because yeah, now you're creating insane. a whole week's worth of meals <clears throat> right so and let's say you make them on sunday are really are they really gonna be that good on that friday probably not. no no that i don't like reheated food like yeah, that what are we talking no. about here i really don't but uh, otherwise how you got are you gonna sit there and scan every barcode on all your food and make sure that you have the right food no. if no. i mean i'm i'm not I, but the person that's more resilient sure yeah yeah so it's, it's for me too is like i was not thrilled with the way i look and obviously like the history channel stuff inspired me a little bit too um but you know i just i it was something that i had in historically really had in check been pretty ripped and that sort of thing and it just wasn't where i wanted it to be right mm -hmm. now and uh it's just overworking and sleep and stuff but i'm like you know what i'm doing it so been waking up every day running and working out and um three weeks time i mean i'm only i bet i'm two or three weeks away from my goal weight that's pretty maybe cool. and then once i'm there i mean it, it'll be a much easier time um to i'll be able to add a whole nother meal in uh up the protein even more and be able to get back whatever i lost but i feel i feel my mind is clear again there was a few days in the beginning where i was like you know, I kind of cold turkey carbs and sugar too mm -hmm. in the whole midst of the whole thing, mixed with severely lowering my calorie intake. Uh, did not give up caffeine because you know yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, I couldn't do that too. <laughs> but so. it's a little easier to get away with stuff like like you don't drink coffee, but if you did, like that's not necessary. If you're just drinking black coffee, that's a relatively healthy drink as as far as anyone's concerned. I mean, addiction True. to caffeine sucks, but <clears throat> yeah, if it's yeah. half creamer, that's a different story. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, there's you can get those calories up quick. That's one of the things, too. Um, Wilderness Athlete has the uh, um, Hydrate and Recover, which are real tasty. I like the Blue Raspberry one the best. That's the best one. It really is. Watermelon's good, too, but that Blue Raspberry is just something. I like what, – what is the yellow one? Is it lemon lime? Pineapple? No, no I think it's – I lemon. got them upstairs. Okay. I forget the flavor, but that one. I, I think that one's my I favorite. Had that. Well, they have the Energy and Focus, too. So I'll do the Energy and Focus, which is, I think, 150 milligrams of caffeine. And then I'll do that, and then I'll normally do a pre-workout, which is about 150. So I'm probably at 300 a day, and that's probably kind of pushing it. 300 milligrams a day? Yeah, but when you think about a a real, not a cup, like a like a mug. Yeah, a mug of coffee's 120, 140. Yeah. yeah. Two people, a lot of people drink two cups of coffee. That's fair. You know, yeah. And they say cups, and then people think like mugs, but it ain't that. You know what I mean? A cup is a tiny little serving. Yeah, it's not know? much. I yeah. never really understood like that when they do the meal prep and they do it Sunday and then they show it on social media like look at me I'm I'm resilient I'm uh, dedicated I'm making myself meals every week it's like cool I'm like you kill the you kill the whole Sunday yeah, <laughs> yeah. You kill the whole Sunday that's, whole Sunday. that's my problem is I won't give up the time yeah well that's the that's my thing that's I think that's half my issue is I don't want to do any meal related things it's annoying to me like. There I enjoy cooking, but all the prep work that goes into it is just annoying to me. <laughs> so getting, doing the calorie counting thing is just annoying. Food-wise for me, what I've done to help me was in the morning I'll eat two eggs and then some sort of protein oatmeal, whether it be like the grizzly one or something like that. And then after the workout, I'll have a protein shake. And then if we have vegetables next door we can get and we have all the wild game, throw that on the grill, cook it on the rectech. And then you eat that for lunch and dinner, and then you're done. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, 
uh, what are you going to do? Go uh, go somewhere else to go get other food? Because then yeah. I can get back to work fast. Boom, yeah. boom, boom. So that's kind of helped. But there's also like those meal plan things. I have gotten a few on days that I can't cook or something like that. They're called Flex Pro. And I've, I've subscribed and bought some of those. Um, and they're nice because you just pop them in the microwave for two minutes and they're ready. And they hold in the freezer for six weeks. That's what you've been eating? Yeah. So that's those really. Things, they smell delicious. They're actually <laughs> they pretty. Really good. They've really helped me. So they've really helped with the calorie, uh, like, because they're like 500 calories a meal roughly, and they have 30 options, and there's like really good options. So the Flex yeah. Pro, I've been, I've been doing. We're not sponsored by them or anything, but that's helped me. They smell amazing. My and the other, that's the other frustrating thing for me is like, if I'm if I'm really like trying to hit calories, it's, I mean, everything is like, oh, low calorie, low calorie, low calorie. This, it's hard to get those high calorie meals in without like just feeling like. Oh. I'll tell you what. I will say this. I can validate what you're saying. Growing up, gaining weight was the hardest thing for me. I had to gain weight, had to gain weight to play football, or I wouldn't be able to play. I always was trying to find ways to gain weight. And there was time where I'm so full and I'm just forcing myself to eat. It's miserable. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I will tell you, as someone who's losing weight now and lived on the other side, I would much rather have to lose weight than gain weight. Because lose weight, you just have to have the mind control to not eat. Yeah. To gain weight, you have to have the mind control to force yourself to eat, which is a whole nother beast of it hurts unhappiness. What was that recently? You, you were overate, and you were just solid, and you were just over expanded, and you couldn't move. Oh, um, oh, I, I, Sunday? every Sunday yeah, okay, at Abigail. Yeah. 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 So one of the things that I was reading too with this fourteen hundred calorie thing is like sometimes you get your body so used to it that it just adapts, so that it you stop losing as much weight. A lot of people plateau, so it's good to have like a day where you maybe eat a lot more calories that day to keep everything up and going. So <clears throat> I've kind of been doing that on Sundays because Abigail's mom cooks a fantastic dinner every Sunday. And this past week she made uh, pot roast. But you say pot roast and you think of all the roasts you've ever had, you sound stupid. You have no <laughs> idea how good this is. Like the, the sauce on it and the way it's Man. crispy on the outside and then the perfect tenderness. Her mashed potatoes are just floating in butter. Um, she had a... Um, there was a few other sides. Oh, she made homemade applesauce that was like gelatin. And then she makes, she always makes me rolls cause she knows I really like them. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and there's a few other things too. And then there's chocolate cake and she gets this caramel ice cream and then she'll put caramel popcorn on it for me with a little bit of hot fudge. So I went ham on Sunday. I, that meal was probably 2000 calories. I didn't eat again though. That's all I ate that day. And then I didn't yeah. eat again until the next day. So it wasn't that big of a cheat. It, right, uh, calorie wise, it was about six or seven hundred more, which is what I needed to to get over the hump. And then the ca- like the food itself, I was feeling, I was like, I had trouble getting up from the table. Pot roast is one of my favorite things. Now, uh, now I want to make it. Now. This yeah, pot roast, I was just my trigger that in my word. Head. I want to do it. Do yeah. it this weekend now. We'll have we'll have her make you one. You gotta. <laughs> that's you gotta the other funny. That that's the other funny thing about like <clears throat> people and weight loss, and they're like, well, I'm on a diet. Well, what's the diet? Well, I'm eating salads and this and that, and it's like. Well, with all the how much you're still eating and, and like, if, oh, you're eating just salads, but you're putting all this dressing on top. You, that's insanely high calories. You're not in two a clo- tablespoons of salad dressing and you're at 300 calories. Yeah. So you're not you're not in a caloric deficit, which is the only way to lose weight. You need to like like you were saying, there's a maintenance weight where you can just stay right where you're at. And anything lower than that, in theory, you lose weight, especially if you do what he did and you cut a ton of calories and then add the cardio too so you can i mean almost you could eat whatever you want 
as, as long, long as you're in caloric deficit. Yeah, and that's that's been kind of my focus has been keep the protein high, keep the calories low, and I clearly it's working. These Flex Pro meals. And then the cooking the wild game on the the grill. I don't feel like I'm missing anything. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty happy with what I got going. That's cool. On. Yeah. In a better set of news, I just posted on social media right before we started recording this that we just finally got to do our announcement with the National Wild Turkey Federation. So we are now officially partnered with the NWTF, and um, I'm pretty pumped about it. Their convention, which by the time you're listening to this, it'll be the following week. Um, the convention is going to be in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And it's a really big event. It's like you've got Shot Show, you've got the archery, tri- the archery one, and National Wild Turkey is like probably in the top five of the biggest conventions. And it's their fi- cool. It's their fiftieth anniversary, which it seems like everybody's. Same at- I yeah, I know. Bass Pro just had their fiftieth uh, anniversary last year, but we're gonna be going to um, to that convention now on um, Friday. We're just gonna be walking around in the afternoon. Um, so if you see us, say hi. But also on Saturday. And from 9 to 10, we're going to be uh, filming a live podcast of the Greenway Outdoors. Live live event podcast. Yeah, live event. Yeah, that's fair. Just, I don't, um, yeah. yeah it's true. It, it won't be broadcasted until later. So yeah. the next podcast that you're going to be listening to will be there. Mm-hmm. We're maybe the one after that. I don't know how that'll line up, but yeah. we'll see what happens. Yeah. You'll hear it in the next few. Yeah. yeah. Episode 102 or 103 or 104. Yeah. But we're going to be recording a live podcast 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. at the Bass Pro stage. So you can come over there. You can see it being recorded live. You can heckle AJ and you can heckle Ryan, uh, no problem. <laughs> yes. Um, and then one o'clock, and on then the- no heckling, but tomato throwing for anyone else on stage. Yes. Yep. Um, and we're going to be joined by two representatives from the National Wild Turkey Federation to talk tur- turkey conservation. And then one o'clock, on the exact same stage, I'm going to be doing a presentation on turkey conservation on behalf of Bass Pro Shops. And then f- at four o'clock. We're going to be interviewed by the National Wild Turkey Federation podcast. So um, that should be a pretty cool uh, trip, a pretty cool time. Looking forward to meeting a lot of you and having those interactions and, you know, getting to have uh, fun at the convention. Yeah. The facility, you haven't seen it. It's like a. Oh, you've seen it? Me and AJ, uh, we're looking at pictures. It's a city. It's like a domed. Oh, it's really? a domed city. There's like stores and oh, that's cool. Uh, no, it's the like coolest. state of the art stuff. I've never been to Nashville. It looks like something that's from 20 years from now. That's cool. Yeah, it's super I'm cool. Excited. Um, so I'm excited for that event. Um, and we've done some talking because obviously we're gonna have to be pretty educated on turkey conservation specifically. But we've had great conversations with some individuals from the National Wild Turkey Federation, and some of the projects that they have going on right now. We've talked to a lot of conservation organizations, a lot of people. Talk about hands-on. And um, something yeah. something that I wanted to just touch on was a story we were talking about today was, in a weird way, if I was to describe the National Wild Turkey Federation, it's not just about putting new turkeys in the wild. It's not just about sustaining turkey populations. It's not just about that. It's almost as if the turkey in its own way is carrying the load for a lot of different very important variables one of which we're talking about is a, a town in wyoming it's it's far more bigger picture than people realize right it, it is it's almost like it's almost like they had 50 years to think outside the box yeah but uh <laughs> but one of the projects that he was talking about was in wyoming so there's a small town in wyoming that is like people travel from all over the world to come there to turkey hunt now, the town has about 3,000 people in it, and there's a sawmill there. 
and that is a majority of the economics for the entire city is the sawmill and the turkey hunting now what what actually makes the 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 popular what makes the economy drive there is the fact that all the tourists come to turkey hunt from all over the world thousands and thousands of people every year and they were talking about how sustainability of turkey populations in those specific areas are literally protecting those towns from going kaput. He said it's not a house of cards, but it's darn close where <laughs> you've got the turkey hunting, which is why everyone goes there and why everyone goes there to spend money that fuels the entire economy for that entire town for the rest of the year. So if they if the turkeys go kaput there, the town's gone. You can call it quits for that town. So in those situations they hyper-focus on those areas and keeping those turkey populations stable and doing conservation efforts to try and also protect those towns. It also goes into clean water, and they've impacted something like, was it 50? It was, it was an insane amount of yeah. uh, acreage um, they've impacted, and it was almost the size of South Carolina. Well, it, like in coordination with that, that city or, I mean, town, village in Wyoming is be the sawmill. So turkeys live in the forests <laughs> um they they do a lot of work with like forest reclamation making sure the forests stay healthy and that there's there's no wildfires to to just burn the whole thing down because imagine what would happen to that sawmill if the forest burnt down and which when we do this podcast i want to do a deeper i want to ask them a few more questions on on <coughs> their philosophy behind wildfires because it's interesting some people are like they're the best thing ever yeah but i think Clearly, yeah, your there's... brother loves him. He sets him. No, I'm kidding. He doesn't. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. <laughs> it's so funny, though. He sets him. <laughs> it's great. Cl clearly, there's circumstances where it's maybe it's not so. Like, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I, I want to hear what. I want to know more science behind this. How it's not good, that theory. Well, I don't think that it's not good. I think it's just it, it, it's probably pretty location, like geographically specific. And so if, I mean, if the, that, all that forest goes by, oh, goes away, one, the turkeys go away, which makes up half the year yeah. of income. And then That's the other point. half is, is, is the logging. So, Yeah, and um, touch a little bit, Ryan, because you're a little bit more of an expert on it than I, on the scenario, say, in Michigan, where they've done clear cuts or they've done fires where it was, like, super beneficial. Yeah, so for a while— Why it, is it beneficial? It, it, it It's— kind of crazy how this whole thing works originally what michigan was doing was they were planting the, these pines everywhere and if you drive up north it's just like rows and rows and rows of pines where like you drive by it and it's like an optical illusion when you're go oh, okay. going through the rows and if you go at the right time you'll see clark griswold out there cutting yep. one down <laughs> um right but time. now th thankfully the science has has developed further and clear cutting is much more prevalent and there's people who who don't know anything that think it's a bad thing but it's not because there are significantly more species that can survive in a clear cut versus uh older forests like in the big hardwood forests so it's something like 12 12 species can really survive well in in, in older forests whereas in the Younger. Younger, years after, not immediately after a clear cut, because immediately after there's nothing. It's just flat, open ground. But in like year two, three, four, five, six, and a little on further than that, that you have species just flourishing where I think it's something like 
in the 80s, 80 species can really just do great in these. Um, whereas there's not any cover, there's not any small nooks and crannies for all these animals to hide in. There's not a lot of new growth for them to eat. And Michigan has really done a good job of creating new growth and and re replenishing the health of our uh, upstate Michigan. Yeah, so uh, a piece of property that we own in, um, in Northwest Lower Peninsula, we had a, it's probably something like 100 acres of pine trees in the, the, the valley. And um, <laughs> what we did was we went out and we actually clear cut all the pine trees out of there. And what grew up next the following year was popple. Now, popple grows pretty fast. Yeah. But young popple grew fast. We went out there and hunted it the very first year it grew. And this year, and we flushed five timber doodle in there and would have gotten a lot more we didn't, without a dog. Yeah. So I can only imagine how many yeah, ran without a dog, was, that's pretty impressive. And I don't, you guys didn't spend a ton. Like we're a, out there 45 minutes. Yeah. So that's pretty impressive. It was insane. And I, I mean, cool thing about that, too, is that all is one root system. That's all technically one plant. The popple is. Mm -hmm. How so? It's all one. I know you're right. Just kind of explain it. 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 Well, it's so uh, I think they call them. They're the big girl of the trees. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I can't figure, remember what ra black raspberry, raspberry plants operate the same way where they, rather than plant, like dropping a seed and then a new growth happens next to it, what happens is the root grows and then sprouts up from the original plant. And that's essentially what's happening where there's this, this massive acreage of, of trees is just one, one system. Just one tree. All Which you'd, you'd be surprised actually how many forests are like that and how many plants are like that. So is there one tree that's like the queen tree? No, it's just kind of like they're they're all working. It's like Scott's ex on Facebook. She just has a bunch of different profiles, but it's all one person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Probably too soon. It's like a, <laughs> it, it's like Avatar, where it's all it's everything is okay. in one. I get it. In, I don't know what do they call it in that movie. Yeah, yeah, it's all it's all connected. It is fascinating, and I know that something with wildfires too is. There's certain trees that have certain seeds mm -hmm. that won't even grow until there's a fire because the fire opens the seed so it can grow. And that's, I mean, that's kind of like a clear cut in a, in a, a natural clear cut in a, of itself because now it's getting rid of all that, lo the older trees and it's killing them all, all off. Now those leaves are gone from the, the, the top canopy. level. The canopy is gone. So that allows for new growth on the floor. Mm-hmm. So there you go. You've just had a natural clear cut. So deer, animals, all kinds of things live, use the undergrowth as protection. They use it as food. They use it as all that. If you think of real tall pine trees and there's just a bunch of pine needles on the ground, there's not much there to be eaten. Yeah. You know, what's interesting <clears throat> for what it's worth, though. Uh, when we were in northern Michigan, one of my favorite uh, rivers to fish, I actually took you guys there this past year. Um, it's all pine trees on both sides. So it's like it's created this bed of pine needles, which makes yep. it ultra silent for you to yeah. sneak around. And it, it, it really helps. I mean, I, I walk. softens the sound. I never noticed that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't hear a thing. <laughs> You're walking on pine needles. Doesn't make a sound. Wow. There's, no, That's cr there's no cracking. It's I never like noticed. A, like a sponge. Yeah. So when I was walking, the river's loud, too. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you don't hear nothing. And I walked right into a bear doing that. <laughs> I was on my phone. I caught the biggest brown trout I'd ever caught in a Michigan stream. And it was a little stream. So it was a big trout for that stream. It was super yeah. exciting. I was calling my dad, and I, had, I was pulling up my phone, and I was looking down as I was walking forward. 
and uh, just as it started ringing, all of a sudden I heard the loudest splash ever right from me to Ryan away right now. And it was a bear jumping in the water, running up the thing. He didn't hear me. I didn't hear him until I was right on top of him. Dang. And what he heard was I had it on speaker, and he heard of the, the ringing on the other end. Oh. And that's what spooked him into the water. So, I mean, we're close. My phone scared him. Mm -hmm. It was nuts. It, he was more scared of me than I was of him. Thankfully, we don't have mean bears here. Well, he ran up the hill, and I felt bad because he, he was a little chunky monkey. And he's trying to run up this steep. I mean, it was like. An incline like winded. that. Well, he kept slipping trying to get up there, oh, but he was so But he was hauling. I'm like, guy, I, hey. And I was trying to. Once Try I, going this way. Because he was so scared of me, I go, hey, hey, hey. I was trying to get him to look back so I could get a picture of him, but I. Yeah. Yeah. He's big, though. Big boy. That's pretty cool. Big tubby. <laughs> <laughs> Trust isn't built in a day, it's built over time. Early hours and the late nights. It's built by doing the work and pushing the limits every day. Because the promises we make are the promises we were built to keep. The Greenway Outdoors is brought to you by Ram Trucks. Built to serve. Motor Trends Truck of the Year for the third year in a row. And by Bass Pro Shop and Cabela's. Your adventure starts here. Tracker Boats. Fish the finest. And by these other fine sponsors. On the last podcast, we were talking about uh, ice fishing and that ice scraper or scooper. I call it a scraper on that one, too. Yep. By the way. For the human-sized litter box. Yeah. Correct. No, it worked great. It, it was everything yeah. I wanted in a scooper. One scoop. And what was funny is the ice was melting while we were out there, so there was a lot of slush. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of shoveling slush out of the shanty, and it was the perfect, the That's perfect awesome. thing. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, Did you get made fun of? No. Yeah, I feel like something Scott would bring up. I yeah, had, yeah. I, had, I had Jeffrey use it. I just didn't. <laughs> nice. Yeah. He's, he's the t lab rat. Yep. Well, look at him. Yeah. You know. Um. But uh, no, we went out. Uh, we went out on Saturday, and it was cold. It was like negative eight out, and uh, not negative eight. It was <laughs> eight. Uh. It was eight out. The wind chill was negative eight because it was windy. And, well, in that night, it had gotten it got down to negative very cold, negative two regular temp, and then it was like negative twenty wind chill. When we went out, it was eight degrees, negative eight wind chill, and uh, we tested the first area first, and the ice wasn't safe. It was only like it was three, three and a half. Which, if it was just me and Scott, probably would have done it. But having the girls out there and stuff, it's you just can't yeah. do it. You know, it's too many variables, and they're gonna want the heater. And it's like, how do you tell them they're safe, but they can't turn the heater on because then they won't be. Yeah, yeah. So we went around to the other side, that which had frozen sooner, and it was almost six inches. So we were able to put up the shanty, um, brand new lake, never fished it before, bounced around a little bit, ended up finding crappie. The first day we brought home thirty-two fish, crappie and bluegill, and we had That's fifteen cool. bass go off on tip-ups. I mean, it was a uh, it was an incredible day. Um, how long did it take you to clean your portion of fish? I cleaned all of them. Well, I know, but how long did it take, do you think? Hour. That's, oh, not, bad. that's not bad. I thought. No, I was longer. moving maybe an hour and 20 once you, um, Abigail was running the vacuum sealer and stuff. So nice. I was I was filleting and skinning and then hand them off to her. She'd rinse them off, check them for bones, pat them dry, and then throw them in the LEM vacuum sealer. I remember as a kid, we kept some, we kept some bluegill and we used the spoon method where you descale them. Guy. And I. What's that? My dad used to, That's a fill I, thing. I hated it. 
You have every reason to hate it. Where you're like scraping? Yeah, you, you use a spoon to scrape you against go, the scales. You go against the scales. I used a knife. Mm-hmm. My dad taught me with a knife. And basically, you start at just behind the gill and you go to the tail mm-hmm. running the knife. The knife is like completely like this. Yep. And you're going like that and it scrapes the scales off. Right. But you never get them all in one swipe. You got to do a bunch of swipes. <laughs> you can miss some and then he's going to yell at you. And then what you do is you cut down just behind the head. Yep. And then out the belt, like you go almost all the way through the fish, turn the knife and go out to the pooper. Yep. And then you reach in and just dig out the guts. Okay. And then it's done. You leave the back tail on because oh. when you cook them, if you fry them, the back tail bec- becomes like a potato chip basically. Yum. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's pretty, yeah, we fry them that way. It is. What's not, the point of the scales? To get it, you don't want to eat them because you leave the skin on because then you can fry them better. Oh, okay. so there's like a benefit, but it's such a pain. The other problem I've it, seen someone use like a cheese grater before and like yeah, scrape there's some, them there's stuff that like way. that. There's things that you can buy to put it like a tumbler thing, like a dryer looking deal mm-hmm. that'll pull them off. You can do all that, sure. I think they make a glove now that you can like do it with your hand. Yeah, but the scales go everywhere because it's like yep. it's, it's like puzzle pieces. It's almost as if you're rubber banding each one of them, you know. Yep. Um, and you would scale them. The other thing is too is the bones stay in then. So you're not losing any meat because when they when you fry them and cook them, there's like a way to do it where you start at like the belly and you kind of open them up like this and all the ribs stay up and then you can pull all the bones out in one swing Okay. from the spine. If you weren't going to waste – I mean if you were in a survival situation, that's what you do because you wouldn't want to waste anything. But it's just uh, – that's how my dad used to make me do it. We'd come home from fishing and we'd have a basket of fish. I mean, we went a lot, too. I mean, we went every – I'd say we went twice a month in the summer months, so we probably went seven, eight times a year together. All bluegill perch stuff? Mm-hmm. Bluegill perch, rock bass, you know, that's what we kept. Uh, crappie now and then, but we went to the same lake every time because we could rent a little uh, rowboat, mm-hmm. and he had a, a motor from the 50s. It's a three-and-a-half <laughs> horse. He made it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a three-and-a-half horse. I think he won it or something, or his dad won it. And then he got it, something like that. But it was from the 50s, maybe 60s. And uh, we'd put that on the back of the rowboat and be able to tool all around. And we did really well. Like, it kind of set a new standard for me for fishing. Uh, when I was really little, this is a kind of an offshoot of the story, but when I was really little, I, like, there was a phase where I wasn't that interested in fishing and hunting. But I had a dream the one night about fishing. I remember waking up and coming downstairs and be like, Dad, 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 I want to go fishing. He's like, okay, good. I was probably eight or nine. I was like, I want to, I want to go, I want to go. And then from that point on, we were always going. Whether it was ice fishing, whether it was, uh, uh, you know, going on those Sunday Sunday mornings and stuff. And uh, that it was so cool. We'd be the first ones out there, and we'd go to the same spot the first time every time. And like always, like the first cast, you'd get it. And I still remember he caught uh, two big events happened. I remember he got this giant bass on Worm and Bobber. And I remember looking over the boat and the water was so clear. The fish was probably 12 foot down, but it was so clear that I could see it. And I remember seeing him with the hook in his mouth and my dad holding the rod like this, fighting him. And I remember seeing the fish have it in his mouth and go, like, fighting it and being like, oh, my gosh, this is happening. That's like, I remember cool. being super stoked. I can I can picture it like I, if I got yeah. sent back there. And then another time I remember he had a um, worm and bobber in it. But what he'd do is he'd, take, he'd buy minnows sometimes put him on a hook with a huge bobber because there was pike in this lake and he just cast it out there once in a while so he cast it out this one time and as soon as it hit the water something slammed the bobber 
My dad reels it all the way into the boat, nets the fish, and brings them in, and then he lets go of the bobber. <laughs> it was a pike. He thought it was a bird hitting the water. Oh, okay. So he, okay. my dad caught him on the bobber, not a hook at all. Fought him all the way into the boat. That's the, crazy. The fish is fighting. And he's like, I'm not letting go of this thing. Mm -hmm. This is my bird. <laughs> got stuck in his mouth. Yeah, he's been there before. You know, he he, he had been, <laughs> That's funny. He went through something where he fought a he fought a bird before, and this is what it looked like. Huh. But yeah, that was those were those were pretty cool stories. But we come home on the ride home, and I remember I'd be so tired because we'd leave by like 5:45 in the morning to be the first people there Jeez. as soon as the bait shop opened, and um, be like falling asleep, and you get home, and you'd be like, "All right, you scale them, I'll clean them." And then I remember like <laughs> he'd be like, "You didn't even do the side on this fish." Like I would just, I was yeah, like, yeah, like, I'm done with this. I was like a kid, and I just wanted it to be over with, and I was like, "You'll clean them up." <laughs> but uh, then I was like, I made a pitch to him one day. I go, "I think we should switch jobs." He goes, no, because <laughs> yeah, like, no, the gutting would I, be no big deal. Yeah, that takes two seconds. Yeah, but that's like a dad thing. You yeah. know, they're like, well, you no, gotta, no. You got to do your time. No, I don't want you to have to do with the guts and stuff. I got that. Yeah, no, the, <laughs> knife, the, knife, the knife's sharp. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, scaling's rough. That's funny. Yeah, that's true. So since you've never done it, now that's your job. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Scaler, you probably would. He probably would and figure out some freak way to do it quickly. Yeah, it is cool. I reinvent it. It is cool to, like, fry the whole fish. It and is. then pull all the bones out in one swing, and then you're eating. It, 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 I agree with that. It's not a bad way to eat them. That's for sure. And it's really good. Mm -hmm. Panfish oh, are great. I like perch a lot. Yeah. Perch, walleye, and gills are the yeah. best. Crappie, though, are great, too. I um, learned all about this stupid bird, this allegedly stupid bird. Right. That's what, that's what the narrative is. The narrative is that they're dumb, and they died, and they went extinct, and... They extinct themselves. Yeah, well, kind, kind of. Yeah, yeah. One. So I, I Isn't just. Isn't there a bit in a movie? Ice is Age? It, yeah, is it Ice Age? I knew there's something like, where they're like just trying to die. Yeah, 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 it's Ice Age because just everything they do is just the stupidest thing you've ever <laughs> yep. seen. And that's not the case at all. I learned so much about these animals that I, all, anyone, I, just everyone says we don't know anything except they're dumb. The bird is the dodo bird. And why they went extinct? It's extremely interesting. Um, I hope so, so. You got a page of notes there. I got more than a page. <laughs> oh man, he's doing the old flip. Um, the old page two. Yeah, we're only on step one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like like lemurs, lemurs are only uh, they, they only live on Madagascar, and this island is. The, this the island that the dodos were on are, is actually next door neighbors to Madagascar. It's much smaller. It's called Mauritius. It's a cool. Word. And what happened was a a, a relative of the sounds like an us untrustworthy woman. Uh, a, a relative of the dodo, which was a very pigeon-like creature, eventually made its way, flew its way to Mauritius. And I guess I should go into the background on how, how islands form and, and how things get there. It's called uh, uh, island bio, biogeography. Um, and so what happens is volcanoes create these islands. When the islands pop up, there's nothing on them. They're just, it, it, it's completely bare. Rock, yeah. It's just rock. So eventually over time, soil is created. The easiest thing that can get to islands is seeds. Seeds get there th through the water and through the air. And they typically get there much quicker than anything else does. I know the like the the islands that you go visit, they're very particular, especially these ones with fragile ecosystems. They make you put your shoes through some sanitation system because mm -hmm. people don't realize it, but they left seeds on their shoes. 
one invasive seed goes off. They got weeds everywhere. It kills everything. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm actually looking at getting a book on this because it's in, it, how in depth this goes is insane. Um, oh, you can read one every two weeks then. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Further our knowledge base. Um, so annoying. <laughs> yeah. It's so so funny. seeds make it to the islands first, and because it's volcanic soil, it's it's super nutrient rich, and so plants just flourish there immediately. And then, um, as, as far as animals getting there, it's typically next in line is birds because they can fly. They can get there, whereas the only way for land animals to get there is you have to be able to swim hundreds of miles. Sure. Not likely. So that's what was happening on Mauritius. These the the plants come in through through seeds that flowed through the air or floated on the ocean there, and then the birds came in. The birds got there and they're like, "Holy crap! There's seeds and fruit everywhere." They're the first ones to get there, and the, and so they just they flourished because of the distance. Nothing else was really able to get there other other than birds. And the way I kind of, there's a more in-depth explanation of this, but for this scenario, the way, imagine getting to an island like this, the, you're standing on a piece of land and you're looking way out there on a more, on a smaller scale, imagine standing at a target range and someone puts two bars next to you and says, you have to shoot the target way out there. And but you can only you you can only go between these two points. So you're looking out there, mm -hmm. and you're just gonna go that way. And you have to try to shoot that target. If the target's three feet in front of you, perfectly easy to get there. The chances of you hitting that target, if yep. you if you close your eyes and shoot, it the likelihood is great. Yeah. Whereas if it's a hundred <laughs> yards out and someone's like aim and shoot with your eyes closed, it's completely impossible nearly <laughs> to <laughs> no get doubt. there. So what is that? Uh, so that what the, the correlation being, if you're standing on on one of the continents and you're and you're looking out at the ocean, you don't see anything. So the odds of you landing on the island the are odds, slim, uh, just it. because of ratios. Um, so it's the same thing when you're uh, target practicing with a rifle. You know, you could be off by a quarter inch at a hundred yards. Well, that's a half inch at two at you know two hundred. You know, it's just you start doubling, tripling, and right. the problem compounds on itself. Exactly. All of a sudden, in six hundred yards, you're not even on the paper. Right. So that's um, the correlation is pretty much the same there to how animals get there. So the distant relative of the dodo, which was pigeon-like, made it to this island because it could fly. They uh, over time, because they were able to flourish so well, the dodo. Um, developed smaller wings it lost its ability to fly and it grew a lot bigger it grew from it started around a half foot and grew to be about three feet that was me during covid yeah, I, just <laughs> kept, I just kept eating and and their beaks went from small little like little poker beaks to big bulbous beaks yep that's me <laughs> to, 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 to be able to eat fruit easier the beak mm -hmm. the beaks you got so one. um they the dodo and the the great tortoise, I believe it's called, were the only, the the dominant animals on the island. They were, they, <laughs> which is crazy because yeah. neither, neither of them are predators or meat eaters. There was no nothing, no predators on the island whatsoever. It's like the idiots that were popular in seventh grade. You know, right. they had no idea what the real world's gonna be like. No. So, because of having no predation, no predators on the island whatsoever, 
them losing their wings. They didn't need their wings to be able to fly. They grew big because they didn't really need to be small and be able <laughs> like, to fly. Nothing can touch me. <laughs> it, essentially. And they lived like that for so long that they lost all instinctual fear. So because mm. they passed so it down many through generations. Gen- yeah. Yep. But nothing. Nothing. Nothing can ca- hurt us. Nothing can hurt us. So now, was the dodo only on this island? Yes. And that's because it basically evolved from something else. Mm-hmm. Over time, it just turned into this other thing that didn't. So was there another thing that was the dodo before the dodo became the dodo? Yeah. It was. Is like- that still around? Um, Are I, they dumb too. I, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I said they're not dumb. You just, I it, just said that. It has a relative, but I don't kn- know. It, it's like now so distant. It's hard to say. Like it'll, it's, it's like its sister species. Gotcha. Um, so in 1638, when coloniz- colonization started to get big, the Dutch came to this island, and. When they came to this, oh, these fat, ugly birds. <laughs> yeah, basically, they they said about the dodo, they were so fearless. They had, for so long, no predators, never being killed. They were so fearless, you could walk right up to them and club them in the head and just kill them. Wow. They just stand there and look at you. <laughs> and so, <laughs> like, that's, so that's where it comes. They're like, these birds are dumb. I wonder how they tasted. Because they got big and fat and plump. Right. You know? They probably ate and, and eat fruit. You'd have to imagine yeah. they tasted okay. Yeah. Um, but or if it was the, white or dark. The bigger problem to the You're to the humans coming to the island was what they brought with them. They brought dogs. They brought cats, rats. The cats is everything. The cats is enough to ruin the whole deal. They brought pigs also mm. and monkeys. Monkeys, dude? Yeah, for some <laughs> reason the Dutch were carrying around monkeys with them. and Food source? It, it, I, I don't that's know. That's why the, everything else had a food source thing to it i i yeah i don't know but they, so they were released onto this island at some point because they were trying to colonize the island and um what these animals experienced is basically what the dodos experienced where they're like look at all this food this is amazing however this time the dodos were the food right yeah so which in return made the island um who named them do you know it has a few different names. We who came up with Dodo? Uh, I don't know who came up with Dodo. It's I think short do, for I think Dodo extra I'm seeing what I don't, I don't think so. I think Dodo is just like oh, it's Dodo. It could be. I but there, it's yeah, got quite a slang. few different names. Um. So in in return to the Dutch bringing all these animals, trying to colonize these, bringing all the animals and trying to colonize these animals that they brought, killed off one of the food sources there. That made them not even be able to stay at the island. And they can't fly. And because <laughs> because these animals had so much food, they were able to go reproduce and, and just take the island over oh, immediately. Took over. And along with Dodo's the biggest example for on this island. However, it along with the <clears throat> dodo, nearly twelve other species were wiped de- out, deemed extinct after oh, okay. after this had happened. Thanks, Dutch. The time frame from the Dutch trying to colonize. That's what a Dutch writer is. <laughs> yeah. That's why You're the it. double Dutch? Yeah. <laughs> um, so from the time the, the Dutch arrived and tried to colonize in 1638 to uh, 1662. 1662 
was the last time anyone ever saw a dodo. Jeez. Less than 30 years, the dodo was gone. I kind of like to go there now just to see if one's creeping around. Yeah, so I looked at it on maps, and it's totally colonized. There's people everywhere on the island now. Um, well, they got to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going there. <laughs> and then I don't want them there when we're there. No. So the, the term that the dodos experience is called island tameness because such it's such a localized ecosystem. They no, because like, I'm an island boy. <laughs> the, <laughs> because it's so localized, they didn't have to. They learned what they learned, and that was it. There was, yeah. There, without any outside influence, they would have been perfectly fine. But because external forces were brought in on them that's that was their demise well, that's anything right essentially and then they also experienced island uh gigantism which is basically you're flourishing so well that you we you, saw you that in get, hawaii with some people yeah <laughs> you, you can just get big and fat and it, it doesn't it doesn't really matter whereas there is um i want to be on that diet there's also <laughs> island dwarfism which some elephants experience it's like stunting yeah, there's mm -hmm. not enough on the island, so they have to grow smaller to be able to survive and eat less. Jeez. And it was they're they're all extinct now, but there was a lot. I of, saw that in J the Journey movies. Yep. There's uh, it's true. He's a small elephant. The rock could hold him. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what they were like. The pictures of the drawings of them is like there was like a, a swan standing next to one of these elephants. They're dwarf-sized elephants that just lived on these islands. Eventually, they went extinct. I would want one of those. They, they look kind of cute. You know, the other thing is, too, though, is like the stunting can happen in a lake even or a pond. You mm -hmm. know, if there's not enough food to go around, it won't be like these seven get big and the rest die. It'll be like they all get they all stay tiny. So what the, there's a term for what you're talking about, all like cave system, cave systems, lakes, ponds, forests, even um, uh, national parks are qualify for this because they're so heavily monitored they're, they're like they're all, they're called uh uh dry land islands it's because it's so protected you, oh it's you, like yeah it's secluded you've, you've created your localized <laughs> ecosystem and it's called ins insular biogeography is what that's called <clears throat> where it's like a local ecosystem that is it's like the Galapagos, where it's very easy to study what's going on and what's happening in this ecosystem. Another example of the island gigantism is uh, the elephant bird, which looked a lot like the ostrich. However, it stood two times taller than a human. So it, wow. it, it was taller than the ostrich, but it was, and that lived on Madagascar, on next to Mauritius. You know, it, it's it. All of this is super interesting, and one of the things that you hit on was the bird being stupid it gets called the dodo because it was so easy to kill that sounds like what what the determining factor yeah. was when we went buffalo hunting and i shot my buffalo none of the other ones ran mm -hmm. they all just went over and were like hey man what's yeah. going on with you, are you sick? yeah yeah <laughs> what are you sick with and um at the time my first reaction was like you guys are like i'm starting i'm seeing why you guys were wiped out yeah because one gets shot in the wild and they all don't leave yeah and they all just stay there and it, it's why people were able to pick off one after the other after the other after the other because they don't run but is it stupidity or are they so smart that like throughout the course of their life anytime someone's laid down in their group or something like that it was never because they were gonna die because they died right, right. so it's like they were working off knowledge like if you put 
if you put someone that played hockey their entire life and just lived in a box and played hockey and played hockey and played hockey and played hockey and then you took them and put them on a soccer field that they had never seen before, they might be like, where's my stick? And they <laughs> yeah, might yeah. they might do things dumb or different, and you call them dumb, but it's like, no, they have knowledge. It's just not the yeah. knowledge for that situation when someone's shooting a twenty eight nozzler at them. Um, uh, it, it, so when I was learning about this, there was it, – it, it's across <clears> the entire <throat> planet islands that operate like this and it makes sense um there have been many 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 birds that lived on islands that did not fly up until the point those external forces were brought in they redeveloped the ability to fly because they had to the dodo just got wiped out so fast and didn't have the opportunity whereas yeah give them a minute <laughs> they're, they're, like the <laughs> birds all over the earth didn't had they had no reason to on this on the islands they were on there was no external forces as soon as that was brought in they're like we got we got to get be smaller and we got to have bigger wings to, and yeah. be, we got to be, be able to move fast and maybe quit rolling around in spices yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um one of the other things too is like kind of when we're talking about colonizing it these people not only would they use these islands for colonies as far as like building houses and things like that a lot of they would use as like uh restaurant stops grocery stops the grocery store they'd let pigs go and then when they come back in two years they know there's pork there that they can stop and pick up food when they're on their journey so mm -hmm. it's a way to have food like create renewable resources yeah hawaii dealt with that um that's why they have access to here that's why they have pigs yep and and those sorts of things happening. And what's funny is Mauritius was one of those islands. They just no one, um, the Portuguese, would use that as a stop for trading spices. However, they they never brought any animals with them to drop off there. They would just use it as a pit stop and never really bothered the place. Huh. Club a few dodos and be on their way. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and until the Dutch came in, the Dutch were like, "This is ours now," and they just destroyed it. Yeah. So That's a bummer. This is ours now. In, in less than thirty years, a little restraint and conservation would have gone a long way, a long way with the dodo. Damn Dutch! Um, Luckily for us, the National Wild Turkey Federation won't let that happen to our big birds. Exactly. There you go. Our big, tasty, delicious birds. I still got some turkey <laughs> left from my turkey this year in the freezer downstairs. I still have a whole turkey in Dude. the freezer. Mm, good eat. <laughs> no, I love them. I love them. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Green Outdoors Podcast, episode one hundred and two. Uh, it was a good time. Mm -hmm. If you'd like to see our actual TV show, you can go to the website, greenoutdoors.com. We've got some episodes there for you. We also have our HuntCast online series. You can jump on our website there, find our HuntCast out, uh, online series as well. If you go to our page, you'll see a tab called Partnerships. Click on that. Look at those sponsors. Look at those companies that are there because those are the companies that back conservation, back us, make all this possible. And by buying their products and interacting with them, you're doing a lot to further conservation and also keep our show going. So we thank you for doing that. Every single week, we have a brand new podcast right here. Um, if you're listening to it as opposed to viewing it, you can jump on YouTube or Carbon TV where you can actually watch the episode. And there's obviously Ryan talks with his hands. He's Italian. So there's a lot going on. So you might want to check that out. Interact with us on social me media. And as a reminder, the Green Outdoors TV show is officially coming to the outdoor block on the History Channel in the second half of 2023. Thanks so much. Stay green.